Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Day. With me is my co-host, Ashley McLennan. Ashley, how's it going tonight? Excellent. I just discovered a video of Javier Baez with puppies, so that oh. is good. Oh, that just combines everything we love, just about. Other than, like, kit- kittens, exactly, maybe, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, we'd get Daniel Norris with kittens. I think we'd be on to something. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that's right in my wheelhouse, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we're back. BlessYouBoys.com, of course, is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. And the Tigers have actually been acquitting themselves reasonably well the past couple days. Like some of the stuff that we were uh, we were kind of concerned about last time we tra- we chatted last week. Um, some of the starting pitchers have kind of put it together with um, three good good starts in a row from Matt Moore, Tyson Ross, and then Daniel Norris was real good today and didn't allow a run. And he was actually facing a legitimate lineup for once in the Grapefruit League with all the Boston Red Sox regulars. So that was good to see. Um, yeah. Things have uh, things have kind of started to right the ship with the starting rotation. It seems like any any impressions from anybody on, on any of those three guys right now? Uh, not on the other. Like I'm, I'm excited to see Daniel Norris not falling apart at the seams. That's very uh, uh, delightful to me. I'm excited to see what keeps happening with Zimmerman if he can kind of hold his stuff together. Yeah, he's been pitching really well. Really yeah. looked good so far. And apparently, he was given some pro tips to Mr. Norris. Um, helping him make some minor adjustments. So I'm kind of fingers crossing that we're seeing some positive moves. Yep, yep, I agree. Yeah, Daniel, like, basically, it just seemed like he was probably still kind of compensating for having pitched with a sore groin for two years or whatever and just wasn't really driving out on on his front leg and getting over it um, and throwing downhill the way he needed to. And, yeah, apparently Jordan Zimmerman kind of was like, look, dude, I know you're not throwing as hard as you used to and just dragged him to the video room and was like, look, (laughs) do this. And well, uh, that was cool. He said that immediately after that, after Zimmerman had that chat with him, his velo went up like two or three miles an hour. Yeah, I think like he it was like maybe like three days ago. He just pitched one inning, and all of a sudden, and I saw that inning, and he did look way better. Like you could you could see it. Um, and I know Daniel kind of been working on that. Like we've actually talked about it <laughs> a little bit because I badgered him about the same thing. But yeah, so that was cool. Um, and yeah, to see, and, but I kind of wondered, you know, that was like one inning. So the fact that he came out today and, uh, and had a pretty nice outing, struck out three against the, um, the Red Sox kind of regular lineup was, was a pretty good sign. And Tyson Ross struck out five, I believe on Monday. Um, and that was the first really good outing he's, he's put up and we were kind of, kind of wondering what was going on with him. Um, and similarly with Matt Moore, but Matt Moore had a good start as well. So all three of them seem to kind of be coming together here. Yeah, I mean, it gives me not, not, not positive vibes. So yeah, exactly. I, I, I caution myself against excitement these days, but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I keep. I was on the radio Monday, and uh, and the host out of the blue asked me for a for a Tigers win loss projection, and I was just like, oh hell, <laughs> it's too early for that. Yeah, fine. Yeah. 66 wins is mine. Yeah, I you know, I feel a little better than that. I I was thinking I think I said 72 and then maybe that's that, what I said last year, friend. Yeah, <laughs> and that might be a little optimistic. I was like 72, but I just don't know what's going to happen when they decide to trade people away in July. Um so it could very well fall all the way right, you know, right back down to 64, but I could see them being, you know, reasonably average for for a good part of the season until that happens, certainly. I mean, as long as it, they play some decent games, I'll stick around. I mean, I'm not going anywhere at this point. We've established that we could be 2003 level bad, and I'll still be here talking about the Tigers. Yeah, and I think um, you know, I think we've also discussed that you know, last year really felt like 
rock bottom because not only were they bad, but there just wasn't much new to, to sort of watch or, or be excited about. You know, there was like, yeah, Joe Jimenez kind of came into his own and we got to see Kristen Stewart um, late in the season, but there wasn't really, yeah, wasn't really a whole lot to be excited about. So this year, you know, we've got a little bit more excitement coming from the farm. Um, we've got Kristen Stewart up there, Jamer Candelario in his second year, uh, and the big man. And that, you know, is the thing that's the hardest because you want to be super excited about Miguel Cabrera looking healthy and, and playing pretty well so far, but you just don't know what you're, what you're going to get. But um, but Miggy's had a really, really nice, you know, week and a half here. Um, it's been uh, it's been fun seeing him play well, seeing him crack a couple home runs that were pretty classic Miguel Cabrera lasers to center and right center. And then yesterday we got the delight of oh Mi- Miguel pulling out. I guess it's not technically the hidden ball trick because he didn't actually hide the ball, but it's the same goddamn thing, so quit, quit yeah, it was c- complaining about it, people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that was uh, that was pretty fun to see, and you you wrote that up for the site. Um, did you take away anything particular from that other than just being hilariously amused that he finally made this work after trying it so many times? So it doesn't. Uh, that baseball is fun, and that Miggy Miggy is fun again, and I think that's a big thing. I think he's not going to be out there spry, making jokes, pulling hidden ball tricks if he's secretly feeling really sore or in pain. And to me, that's just all positivity across the board for what we can expect. So. Yeah, he does look like he's having fun, um, and yeah, and it's just been nice to see him lift the ball a little bit and really, really smoke some baseballs. Um, so, and that's the thing: if Miguel Cabrera, you know, can can stay healthy for you know three quarters of the season or something, and you've got Nick Cassianos and Kristen Stewart, that's a pretty potent heart of the lineup right there. Absolutely, <clears throat> I think, and if they're very careful about how they play him in the field as opposed to DHing him, that's going to make a really big difference this season. Yeah, and I and also I think just get him. Yeah, try to get him some days off. You know, just a, a little more. Like, just sit sit this one out. Don't do anything because even running the bases is where he's gotten hurt. You know, at least mm-hmm. twice in the past few years, and you know, DHing will help with that. So yeah, getting him his rest. You know, the Tigers have all these kind of pseudo versatile. I don't want to call them super utility guys. Maybe like <laughs> semi utility <laughs> guys, like Nico Goodrum just and call yeah. Utility. Yeah, just utility guy. That's right. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it kind of brings to mind Don Kelly and yeah. I think. But what's wrong with bringing Don Kelly to mind? There's nothing wrong with bringing Don Kelly to mind, but you know, I mean, he, 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 there's a difference between being a utility man because you're not good at anything. <laughs> Sorry, Don. Um, except defense, you know, you could play Don anywhere and he'd, and he'd do just fine. But, um, but, you know, Nico's got a little bit more of a bat and actually Nico, you know, beyond just being an, an utter delight of a person, um, has been swinging the bat great and just, you know, hitting rockets. He turned on a ball. Oh, I don't know. It was like three days ago. I can't remember when he hit that home run, but just turned on this pitch and just smoked it. Um, and you, you just see that power potential. The fact that, you know, he's, he's got the speed to you know, to steal twenty bases and probably would have hit twenty home runs last year if he had um, played regularly. And you kind of wonder why he's not getting a regular regular gig because the defense isn't that bad. I don't know. You heard me complain about this last week. Yeah, I do not have to preach to the squire. I think that he should have a regular position. Mm-hmm. Yep. And maybe you know, maybe they'll mix things in. It's out. You know, like they had him try out center field over the past week. Um, he's played some corner outfield. So when Miguel isn't DHing, if they will play Nico in right field and DH Nick, you know that could kind of solve two problems with one one move um, by improving the defense out there. And yeah, yeah, it's just nice to have you know kind of have that glue guy, and it's nice to have a, a pair of like good-looking young switch hitters. Like neither one of them is going to be a, like a star or 
you know, an all-star type hitter of any sort, but, um, but Candelario and Goodrum being able to kind of, kind of balance their splits from either side of the plate and provide some power and get on base is pretty cool. We don't even see that. very much like for us to imagine going back to this time last year and saying, Brandon and Ashley, you will be talking with glowing love about mm-hmm. Nico Goodrum in a year and how much more you want to see him on the field. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> this is true. I would not have predicted that either. Yep. I think that kind of goes towards like the idea that there's no way for us to, to know who's going to surprise us and delight us and really kind of step up in the coming year. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's just the fun of it. Like, you know, no one would have predicted that last year would have so many fun moments, at least in the first half. But yeah, you know, no one would have guessed Mike Fires would be a barter chip at the trade deadline. Like, come on. Yeah, no one would have guessed that this random wayward goose would fly onto the field and then smash into the scoreboard and then become a rally hero. Goose. Yeah, and become a rally goose. Um, that that come, come back to us, rally goose. Yeah, brought all of the Detroit fandom together in a moment of pure beauty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you just never know. Think, things are going to be fun. I think. I, you know, I, I feel more optimistic this year, and I've actually had the thought, and I've I haven't had this thought in since like 2015 of writing an article about why you know what there is to look forward to, like why there's a lot to look forward to or things to enjoy about the 2019 Tigers. But um, but there should be quite a bit. Um, God, we should do that as our roundtable. Yeah, we could. We could. I've just got a lot to say. No, no su- man, surprise. No, no, your, I think we've already <laughs> talked about what we're most looking forward to watching for. In, we did that for spring training. Yeah. So I think we could definitely... I look forward to reading your post, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about what we, what might be fun. Yeah. We could discuss how, how I either agree or disagree with everything you said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're not just going to roll over and agree with everything I say? I'm shocked. This is shocking to me. I know. I'm usually such an agreeable person. <laughs> I mean, you kind of are. And and really, though, I owe, I owe you some payback because I started reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara <laughs> um, based on your recommendation, which is about the East Area Rapist slash Golden State Killer um, and those rapes and murders throughout the 70s and 80s um, and basically spent two full days like being really freaked out at night by myself and like walking around yeah. with my hunting knife um, just to go to the bathroom and generally laughing at myself for being a paranoid freak, but still like searching rooms in the house and noticing like if anything seemed weird to me when I came back home from work, like, wait a minute, did I leave the curtain open over there? I don't think I did. Yeah. Now please imagine being a single woman home alone. Oh my God. Yeah. Re- reading that book at night. Oh man. That was the worst. <laughs> and your dogs just aren't big enough. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> like they might do what they can, but I'm not trusting either one of them to. No. They're two, they're they're lovers, not fighters. Yeah, and cats, you know, cats are just useless in that situation for the most part. Every once in a while, like if a cat ever does something in that situation, you'll see it because it'll be on the internet the next day. (laughs) Yeah, well, we're totally off topic, but in the topic of dogs with the Euron's case, um, there was one of the victims had a dog that literally did nothing. Yeah. The dog just sat in the room. Yep. The whole time. Yep. Like, hey, what do you want me to do? This guy's crazy. and I always worry in those. I'm so terrible because I always I like animals more than people, so I always worry about because well because they always say like that serial killers and the like usually get started with fires or with hurting animals. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I'm like, whoa, don't you do it? Like I watched a Jeffrey Dahmer, um, like it was my friend Jeffrey or my friend Dahmer, 
Oh yeah, which is about a part of it. I haven't seen friend that. of Jeffrey Dahmer's. Yeah, and there's a scene where he takes a girl's dog into the woods, and I'm like, I will walk out of this movie. Oh man. Like, if you do anything to that dog and the dog gets away, but like, Oh my God. Uh. Apparently there is a website. This is actually related where you can go and check. I think it's called does the dog live. Oh, and they will check all the movies that have animals in them and confirm whether or not the pet lives or dies. Oh no. So you can avoid those if it's too much. So that You can avoid like the John wick situation. If you, it's really upsetting to you. Oh yeah. Oh my yeah. God. That's hilarious. That's where we're at though, where it's like, Hey, look, you know, like, those teenagers in the woods can just get butchered left and right, and I'll be fine with it, because, God, they're annoying. (laughs) But not that dog, not that cat. This is horrific. No, you can't kill the pets, man. We were talking about this, and it was at an author, like, reader event in Florida when I was down in Florida. And that was the one thing we all discussed, is that if you have a pet in a book, you cannot kill the pet. It was, like, a cardinal rule of fiction, is that you will lose readers. Yeah. And don't and you kind of have to come back to the pet for that that last one little moment, like late in the book, oh, right. right? Yeah. I made. I was told very explicitly when I brought back a character that I had to mention what was happening with her cat, even though it was years later that I brought this character back. My editor is just like, "Where's the cat?" And I'm like, "Oh Ooh. my god, I can't believe that this is this is important." Oh yeah, people. Yeah, I can see that. That's pretty funny. That is funny. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Just, we, we this is where we are. Very early this week. Yeah, it doesn't take too long to get into the into the serial killers. Uh, and actually, of course, Trevor Bauer had to do something yesterday that I kind of wanted to talk about, but it's not big big enough deal to even bother with, so we won't go there. Um, what we're actually going to do, we're going to we've got a few more Tigers topics to hit, and then um, we're actually going to do a little bit of um, the West preview. We're going to take a look at the American League and National League West and kind of talk through those. Um, but there are a couple of like key Tigers topics that came up this week. Um, you know, actually, before we get to those two, the last thing I wanted to mention was that yeah, Daz Cameron is just absolutely shining so far this spring and just looks awesome. And if um, if the Tigers were actually trying to win, I'm pretty sure Jacoby Jones would really be hearing those footsteps coming up behind him because Daz Cameron, you know, like he smashed a triple, and then in the next time, like a week later, when he faced Masahiro Tanaka again, he smoked a home run to right center. Um, he's made a couple diving plays in the outfield. Some very fun catches in yeah. the outfield, yeah. yeah. And Daz is a cool guy. Like Emily Walden, um, our friend from The Athletic, um, prospect writer extraordinaire, um, who was actually on the Effectively Wild podcast last week, if you want to check that out, and was also on our, our, our what would we call him, our fellow Sister? writer. Podcast? Our sister podcast, that's good, yes, the Minor League Tracker podcast with Keenan Carter, um, she was on there yesterday um, as well, but she wrote an article, um, maybe this was back during the Arizona Fall League, so November, um, where she basically spent like a couple days talking to Mike Cameron, who of course was a, an excellent center fielder uh, with both power and speed for the Seattle Mariners, among other teams, um, but he's Daz's father, of course, and uh, it, and that series was really worth reading, because um, you know, Mike Cameron was just, is just a a pretty cool guy, just like a fun guy to, to listen to talk about baseball and um, kind of, you know, follow him and Daz around as they talk crap to each other um, and are also obviously, like, really close. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's kind of a cool angle on that story, too. But, yeah, Daz Cameron um, really looking good, and hopefully we'll, he'll, that'll be another fun thing to look forward to is him coming up somewhere later on the season, at least for a little stint. So Yeah, I think that would be – I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. He's just – I mean, there's just so many headlines, like – just built into his name and stuff. It's great. You know, like the Dazzler, you know, Dazzling Daz, oh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, it's all there. Oh, I'm so 
ready for the punny headlines. Aren't you guys excited for me to write recaps again? Yep. Oh. I mean, Nico, like, Goodrum isn't bad. Like, that's pretty usable for some for some stuff. But yeah, Daz is, is just kind of a just perfect perfect for that. Yeah, we because I, I also obviously do DRB uh, D Ray's Bay coverage, and Snell has always been fun. Oh yeah. Um. Um. But yeah, there's been some some great names but man i love getting punny with it <laughs> yep oh and speaking of uh speaking of blake snell yeah that, that i thought that was kind of cool that they've they've actually got things set up so that jacob Degrom and max scherzer are going to face off on opening day as the mets take on the nationals and the houston astros are also going to take on the tampa bay rays and that will be blake smell snell versus justin berlander which is like a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty hellacious opening day set of matchups right there that should be pretty awesome that is delightful i am very ready for baseball yeah yeah we obviously haven't announced the opening day starter for the tigers but we had this discussion last week and i stand by my opinion that it's going to be jordan zimmerman yeah based solely on what we know about ron Gardenhire and how he values um player longevity yeah yeah sir the service time argument and, and also there's really not anybody else on the team that i think stands out as being an obvious yeah like we don't have an ace so to speak, like you want it to be Michael Fulmer, but it hasn't really been. And then you kind of think it, numbers wise, it's Boyd. Yeah. But I, I think service time wise, you got to give it to Zimmerman. Yeah. Yeah. And neither of those guys for, you know, for all that, you know, Fulmer did in his rookie season, just haven't, haven't really done anything to truly stand out the past couple years. Whereas, you know, we haven't seen much good from Jordan Zimmerman either, except in, you know, stretches here or there. But um, but going back to his Nationals days, I mean, he was a Cy Young contender for a couple years and has obviously done a lot more in the game than any of the rest of them. So I can I can buy that. Yeah, that's okay. And then um, whoever the fifth starter is will actually, I assume, then be... Oh, wait, are we on the road for the first two series? We are. So, all right. So it doesn't even matter. We'll have to see how that works out with the home opener. Um, but yeah, okay, so the two the two things I wanted to get into as far as the Tigers, like, with any depth, is the fact that this wasn't Nick, um, you know, making the case, and obviously we've made the case, like, over and over again, and I, and I wrote... More than a year. Yeah, and I wrote another article about it the other day based on Nick's comments because Nick, once again, um, kind of came out and said, you know, I, I'd be fully open to talking about an extension, you know, I've, I've wanted to stay here, um, you know, he's, he was talking about you know, the experience of working with like Alan Trammell and Al Kaline and kind of what it meant to them to have played for the whole, the same organization their whole career and about wanting to see things through, you know, the rebuild and, and watch, you know, help bring this team and lead this team back to success. And, you know, those all, all really kind of pumped the, the feel meter for me. And <laughs> I would really like to keep Nick and I know you would as well. Um, but it just doesn't seem like, you know, the Tigers really have any interest right now. You know, he even said, you know, like they know, everybody knows that, you know, we're interested in talking and we haven't heard anything. So yeah, that kind of tells us where we're at. It's so, it might, like, I'm just, I'm a mad, like we talked about this last week and about how this is absolutely the right time to make a team friendly extension offer. And given if you're just even the slightest bit flexible about it and give him just any value to that contract that makes him seem like the team cares about him, he would take it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think any any contract offer that's not an absolute joke would absolutely be considered and probably accepted because it gives you that, that long-term commitment. It gives you that sense of a team wanting to make that work. And I don't know why you wouldn't want to lock down a guy like Nick who is still so young and is only proving to be better and better at the bat. Yep. 
I mean, yeah, he's 27. Um, he's going to be turned 28 this year. Like, he's he's just kind of getting into those prime years. You know, you could look at last year where he posted the best numbers of his career. And, yeah, there was a little bit of batted ball luck in there. But it, it also kind of adds up with the way Nick hits the ball. He drives the ball hard on a line all the time. Um, and guys like that tend to get on base more than, than others um, and have higher average. And it's no surprise that Nick is the type of guy who can hit 290, 300 for you every year. And yeah, we'd all like to see him hit 30, 35 home runs um, rather than, you know, 20, 25 where, where he's kind of been at. But that still might come. Um, and yeah, you know, the, 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 the pushback is always like, where are you going to play him? Like, how is this going to work? We don't really want Nick and Kristen Stewart both in the corner outfield um, long term. And I mean, I think we both totally agree with that. But people are kind of missing out on the fact that, yeah, it's nice to have Miguel looking healthy and in camp. But, you know, Miguel Cabrera is signed for five more years. And if you get you know, one full good season out of them, um, you probably have to kind of thank your lucky stars. And I hate to say that. I love Miguel Cabrera like everybody else does. But um, but if you're, you know, if you're realistic about it, the Tigers don't really have like this locked in like DH, you know, really good hitter, um, you know, who, who's going to kind of power things. Um, when Miggy's there, it'll be a nice plus. But, um, but there's, you know, there's no reason to, to worry about like, oh, well, Nick's going to be blocked <laughs> or, you know, or something yeah. like that. And so. I- I think he's still at the point you get with maybe like a four-year extension. You still have him on the team when they're competitive again, theoretically, knock wood. Yeah, yeah. And if, they, and and if they're not competitive again, well, who, you know, well, then it didn't matter anyway, you know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And you continue to have what I feel like, even though he's fairly young still, will become the truly wonderful kind of veteran presence that that clubhouse so sorely needs. Yeah. Yep, I think um, you know he, he fits that. Um, you know he, he's matured in a, in a lot of ways to kind of like take on that role without you know having to be asked. And you know you can overvalue that, sure, but but it does matter. And and he brings that to the table, and he brings the bat. And for all we know, you know he, he it was his first year playing right field last year, um, and it, it didn't go very well. But you know I could I could easily see him come out this year and look better out there. Um, you know the defensive metrics. To, to a certain extent are kind of based on like the chances that you get. And it's really hard to tell from year to year, like, you know, what, did he have more hard plays to deal with last year than he would normally? Um, all those things are hard to tell. So, you know, you just never know. He could come out this year and look much more like just a mediocre outfielder who hits the shit out of the ball. And that would be great. <laughs> that would be perfect. Yeah. yeah. And let's see, I think he's making $9.95 million this year um, in his last year arbitration. And, you know, you don't have to give him a whole lot more than that, I don't think. But if you could you could get him for four years at 11 or $12 million a year, I, I might even go five years because he's only going to be 32, 33 when that ends. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd be perfectly happy to do all that. And um, if you could, you know, if you could get it for a little less and work in some incentives or something like that, that you know, that all just makes perfect sense to me. But the fact that the Tigers haven't reached out to him by all account, um, just, just kind of speaks to the fact that they, they think they're going to trade him. It seems like, and yeah. I don't know. Who? Yeah. Yeah. For what? Yeah. And, you know, and I pointed that out in the article too, is like, you know, they've been, it's not like they've been hanging on to Nick Castellanos, you know, he's been available for teams to, to call on and try to trade for, for, you know, basically since we traded, you know, JD Martinez and Justin Verlander like that, you know, in 2017, Nick Castellanos was on the market, um, and they didn't get what they wanted. And then he had the best year of his career last year, and they were willing to... I hate to say they shopped him, because the impression I get from Alavila is that he doesn't really do anything but wait for the phone to ring, (laughs) which aggravates me. His comments is just like, we're willing to listen. And I'm like, maybe if you 
if you actually wanted to move these guys, I feel like you might ask. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you've got a couple prospects in the, you know, double-A level that I'm kind of interested in. Would you also maybe consider taking a Nick Castellanos as part of that trade? Yeah, yeah, and if you can just, and he just doesn't seem to do that, and if you start the conversation, you can at least gauge, like, whether or not they're, you know, they're interested at all, and then maybe go from there. Maybe you expand the deal, maybe they need Shane Green. Um, There's plenty of teams out there that, you know, seem to to have illusions of being a contender whose bullpen, you know, and pitching staff in general just doesn't look remotely good enough. Um, You know, you could, maybe you can work Matt Boyd into a deal, but... You know, whatever it comes down to, they haven't gotten the offers that they wanted for a year and a half. And the idea that they're somehow going to, like, Nick is going to, what, like, hit 40 home runs by July. And somehow all these teams are going to come screaming to you. Um, The same teams that passed on J.D. Martinez and left us basically just taking, like, a package of, you know, fringe career minor league infielders, basically. Um, Uh Pretty hard, pretty hard to imagine that working out. Um, Yeah, I guess you can say that at the end of the year... They can reevaluate, and if you know if things you know kind of went the way they wanted, and they're still interested, they can just sign him in free agency. And I guess that's fine. But I don't know that like the the illusion of oh we're gonna we're gonna hang in here and see if some kind of better trade offer develops in July just seems like I don't know seems like a complete pipe dream and uh, doesn't really endear <laughs> the Tiger front office anymore to me uh. with this sort of like instead of being proactive, we'll just you know well we'll just sit back and let the prospects develop and. Maybe the phone will ring, and, you know, it's like, what the hell kind of business are you running over there? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, I still I still have to hope for the best. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. It's just more on, like, an individual basis. Like, you hope the team is fun. You hope, you know, certain young players, you know, are good and fun and, like, kind of break out a little bit. Like, all those sorts of things. But, yeah, I mean, even at my most optimistic, you know, put on the spot on the radio and not wanting to bum out, you know, an entire, you know, <laughs> metropolitan area worth of drive time <laughs> commuters. I was like, yeah, 72 is about the best I could do. And I still had qualifications. So yeah, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. So there it is. Um, you know, and the other thing I should, should I mention this? I just heard, <laughs> I've heard through the grapevine and like, I don't like to do this. Like Ashley doesn't like to do this. And it's not like we're all like tied in and talking to players and coaches and all that kind of stuff. But we all have like some, some little contacts in the industry. And there are just, there are just enough little birds floating around um, on that subject that, that keep kind of hinting that, that there is some kind of extension talk, or at least there's, there's been like at least vague discussions of a framework of, of a deal to where I couldn't quite put it out of my mind. And that's, uh, and so when Nick said that I had to like leap all over it. So I don't know. I don't want to like you know prime anybody's expectations and, and think that the Tigers are going to somehow manage to put a deal together in the next two weeks. But um, I guess you never know. Maybe uh, maybe they'll come to their senses and just do that. I would love it. I would hope so. I mean, it would be nice if that you know what would give me a little bit of faith. Where if they're that's their subtle move, and he then Avila pulls like a su- like a subtle Dombrowski there. Or it's like fake out, fake out, fake out, five year extension. I think we would all love to, to see Al Avila like be some somewhat more like Dave Dombrowski and not just like wear yeah. his heart on his sleeve. Yes. Yeah, like I would love for that to just be like a sly move they pulled. Oh, we've been shopping him. Oh, we're listening to offers. Oh, by the way, we signed him to an extension. Mic drop. Like, yeah. Tigers, give it to me. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. 
there, that would it would just be a really I think it would just be yeah like you say like a really nice like tip toward the idea that you know okay we're not just gonna sit here like lumps on a stump for the next like two seasons spending no money you know waiting and waiting and waiting for whatever to ha- you think is gonna happen to happen while we trade away the good players that we already have and you know waste years of control on some of these you know pretty good young players uh, we don't have anybody you know standing out um, but yeah you know I don't really want to see like you know the Tigers finally be good and like Jamer Candelario and Joe Jimenez are like, you know, Joe Jimenez already broke down and Candelario's like, you know, near 30 and we've already kind of used him up. Like it's, we're not that far. Like the Tigers, you know, need the pitching to come up through the farm system. And if you look at the farm system, the bats just aren't really there. You know, I, I like Daz Cameron. I like Isaac Prades and I like Jake Rogers. And that's three guys to add into Kristen Stewart, Goodrum, Candelario, and then you've kind of got yourself a bit of a nucleus, and maybe Willie Castro maybe works out and is decent at shortstop, and you only need like another bet then. Um, so, but what they don't have is that guy who's going to hit like Nick Cassianos. I I just don't really think they quite have that guy. Like maybe Daz or Isaac can figure that out, but they don't look like it quite yet. So, yeah. So. Jake's value really isn't in his bat so much as it is in his ability to catch. So yeah, exactly, and yeah, and that's another topic that we may get into because I know um, Keenan and Adam Dubbin are kind of kind of on the Jake Rogers swing mechanics thing, and that, that's in their heads right now, and they're they're trying to figure that out. So there may be an article coming on that because they've, you know, we've we've had a couple pieces come out where you know Jake Rogers, you know, said he was going to make these changes and. Lloyd McClendon was talking about, you know, kind of flattening his swing and trimming down the leg kick. And he's a weird, he's got a weird swing. There's no doubt about it. Like he's kind of, he's kind of got this loop in his swing and he's got a really big leg kick where he basically like fully just balances on his right leg and lifts his left leg all the way up as the ball is being released. Um, there are some things you think could work, you know, could be, could be done to help him make more contact. Um, but, you know, we'll just have to kind of see if they can, uh, if they can come up with any, any particular notes of interest and we'll have an article on that coming as well but really it just comes down to like letting jake rogers play this year at double a AA and then triple a and seeing if he can take a little step forward and maybe he doesn't need to change his mechanics because we've seen plenty of people with weird swing mechanics work out and be just fine so and he doesn't need to he just doesn't need to hit that much honestly so oh yeah you know how i feel about catchers yeah anything you get from a catcher's bat is is a, just a bonus it's just a bonus yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the defense is just sick. So we've gotten to see him catch quite a bit this this spring, and yeah, he he's just a damn cat back there with hands like soft golden butter. <laughs> well, I think we had this discussion in our chat where we said there's really like two positions where a, a hot bat is just a bonus, and it's catcher and shortstop. Yeah. Yep. Maybe center field. I guess you could argue, but yeah, yeah, that's basically it. So. And, you know, we'll just, we'll just have to see if they can find those middle infielders because that continues to look like the, the spot where we, we may just not really have much coming through the pipeline. I like Parker Meadows. I like Wenzel Perez. Um, but those guys are like 18, 19 years old. They've got a long way to go. So, um, all right. So that's enough on Nick. Um, we'll try to hang in there and, and, and at least enjoy Nick this year. And maybe we'll get more Nick and Shane Green doing the 619 podcast because that was pretty fun. Um, and then the final, oh, yeah, I had to get into this. Like, this is the thing. This isn't a Tigers topic anymore, but I know Tigers fans will be interested in this. And there was a an article by David Lorilla on um, on Fangraphs where he basically talked to the LA Angels front office and to Brad Osmus about kind of why Brad Osmus was hired there 
and kind of about whether or not he could become an analytics manager or whatever that means exactly. And uh, and man, people got really mad. <laughs> people got really mad on Twitter about about you know any mention of Brad Osmus and analytics together. Uh, and I kind of found it funny because at the end of the day, I didn't really ever think like the problem with Brad Osmus is that he's not smart enough to like understand analytics data. Um, from the front office. I thought the problem was that he's not very good in the room with the players necessarily or that good a communicator. And the Tigers yeah. front office just sucked in that department for so long. And they were also, you know, the overbearing type of front office, like, the you know, that um, that isn't, wasn't just going to let him kind of do whatever he wanted. Like, you know, Joe Nathan was, your, was his closer. And there was nothing that was going to be done about that until, you know, we were practically in September. Um, and we saw a lot of examples of that, kind of where it seemed like Brad Osmus wanted to do something and a, and a change seemed like it was obviously needed. And for some reason, because the player was a veteran who was making money, nothing happened. And I can, you know, Mike Pelfrey, Francisco Rodriguez, like we can go through quite a few examples of that. Um, mm-hmm. So you just, I don't know, I just really wonder how much control he was even allowed at that point, because it really felt like they, they hired him like they were going to train him up themselves the Tiger way. But the Tiger way, it, it was totally backwards, and we all knew that. <laughs> so I'm not really sure that, yeah. Still kind of is. Yeah, like, we're getting there, but the Tigers still still do a lot of things that, you know, that kind of tingle the senses found, of more, yeah, more analytics-minded people. I always found that Osmos was very stuck in rigid role usage. Yeah. And uh, it was never to, to the compliment of the guys, especially in the bullpen. Like, mm-hmm. he had a seventh inning guy, and he had an eighth inning guy, and he had, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, for sure. We, we've seen a lot of that since switching from Chris Bosio to um, that we were back to kind of rigid routines and shortened starts, and, you know, we get what we get. Yeah, yeah, and guys, you know, being slotted in, you know, you're you're this guy, you're in that role. Um, yeah. It's just that, you know, it, that to me all just feels like the Tigers organization's way because, uh-huh. you know, they signed Joe Nathan to be that closer and they spent all their money on, on one guy and then they gave him, like, Jabba Chamberlain and, oh, maybe Bruce Rondon will show up this year and do something. And so there just weren't very many options that he that he had available to him. And, I, you know, I was definitely critical in 2014, too. Um, in fact, I think I, I basically started writing for Bless You Boys because I was screaming at Brad Osmus in fan posts. <laughs> and Rob was finally like, well, why don't we put one of these on the front page? And that was kind of how it, how it started for me there. But, um, yeah, I just don't know that he really had that much autonomy. And, the, you know, the fact that the Tigers, you know, fire Brad Osmus and then turn right around and, and hire Ron Gardenhire should tell you everything you know, you know, you need to know about what the front office, you know, kind of thinks about baseball and the way it's supposed to be managed, the way players are supposed to be used. And, you know, that part of part of the reason why I'm kind of intrigued by the fact that we have Goodrum and Candelario is that, you know, the Tigers didn't have switch hitters. They didn't have, like, guys who could play multiple positions in those years. Everybody was just supposed to do whatever their specific, you know, job was, and it was just a plug-and-play kind of a roster where there wasn't that many decisions to make. And when there were, I'd certainly agree, you know, Brad Osmus made some bad decisions. Like, he didn't pinch hit for his catchers sometimes when it made absolutely no sense not to do so. He left starters in too long probably because he didn't have anybody to go to in the bullpen, but, you know, you were kind of damned if he did or damned if he didn't. Um, and I don't know. I just I just feel like the Tiger, a lot of the Tigers fan base scapegoats him for things that were entirely or almost entirely the front office's doing. So um, I wasn't a big fan either. I was glad when they finally let him go, but he's going to go out to the Angels, and I think he's probably going to do better than, than people expect, and it will probably irritate the Tigers fan base even more. 
Yeah, it would be interesting to see things shaken up there with, like, a whole new management direction. Yeah, I mean, Mike Sosha's been there, you know, almost 20 years. Forever? So. Yeah. Yeah, and he was a very traditional manager, like, no, no doubt about that. So, basically, you know, kind of like the Guardy of the West. Absolutely. Yeah, except he did win a World Series, so I guess i got to give him that. Well whatever yeah yeah but anyway check out that article on fangrass um if you want to hear about brad osmus's uh thoughts on analytics <laughs> um you know the last thing i'd say about that is that before brad osmus even came to detroit he was really well known for developing catcher analytics um in the cubs front office and also i think still working for the padres as well and was kind of going around doing that work behind the scenes um, before he even became a manager um, he's the guy who talked Justin Verlander finally into studying scouting reports and really taking that part of his game seriously and breaking down the data. There's plenty of evidence that Brad Osmus would have used you know that information just fine had he had it, and I just don't think he, that he did. And you know, it's not like the manager is up there writing algorithms um, at night and studying <laughs> studying fan graphs all day. There really isn't that much time to do those kind of things if that information isn't available readily to you from your front office and your analytics department. And we just didn't really have an analytics department until like the last year of his tenure when all of a sudden the Tigers started shifting a whole bunch, which uh, should also tell you something that, you know, (laughs) yeah, as soon as they had the information, it was being employed. But yeah, I just don't know what they did. So we'll see. That's all we can do is kind of wait to see how it shakes out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the Angels definitely aren't a juggernaut. And that kind of leads us right into our second or third and final segment, which is to take a look at the American League and the National League West and kind of, and just kind of talk through like their Pocota projections, um, you know, what the, what the projection systems expect versus like some of the moves that they made. And we will start with the American League West and Pocota has, with no surprise, the Houston Astros set to win 98 games and go 98-64. And what? yeah, and win that division by 18 games over the Angels at 80 and 82. Um, the A's are projected to be one behind them, which is bold because the A's always beat their projections and are, and are right in the thick of things. It seems like. And then you got the Mariners and the Rangers, um, who are basically still kind of in in rebuild mode. The Mariners having just sort of reached rebuild, yeah, rebuild mode last year. Um, or this offseason, I guess, when you consider trading Robbie Cano and Edwin Diaz to the Mets for Jared Kalanick and Justice Sheffield. Well, now that was a different deal. That was the James Paxton deal. But they traded James Paxton to the Yankees as well. So, a lot of things have changed. Um, do you have any 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 question in your mind at all that the Houston Astros aren't just going to just steamroll that division? No. Yeah, me neither. I mean, they haven't made themselves markedly better in the offseason, but they also haven't done anything major to make themselves worse, with the exception of Keiko leaving, but Keiko is no longer the Cy Young winner that he was. Yeah. So I don't think that that's actually such a huge ding against them. I'd say losing Morton is probably going to hurt them more than losing Keiko. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and it's going to hurt them directly because they're, he's still in the division playing for the Rays. Not in the division, sorry. But in the American the League, league. Yeah, yeah. The league is what I meant. I know how divisions work and which ones <laughs> are featuring which teams. Charlie Morton's um, going to be good for the Rays. Like, that's just sick that you guys get, oh, got another good pitcher down there. What the hell? Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. So excited. He's he looked so good this spring. Like, yeah. anyway, I, I digress. We're not going to get into the Rays because I get in trouble every time we do that on this podcast. Yeah, we'll get into um, them when we get to the American League East and then you can just rhapsodize. About how they're going to take down the Yankees and the Red Sox. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, I'd say I think the athletics are probably going to do a little bit better than they're projected to. Um, I think watching them, I, I, I don't know about the Angels finishing second. They've done things in the offseason that make them better, but they're also the Angels, and they tend to, I feel, fall below expectation, um, which kind of bums me out with Otani being there, and you kind of just want him to do really well. Yeah, um, and Trout. But, like, you'd like to see Mike Trout in the, in the postseason. Like, it would be really, yeah. really good for baseball, but... Absolutely, but I mean, again, Mike Trout's kind of boring. Like, not in his baseball play, obviously. Yeah. Um, but he's not the kind of guy you can build a franchise around excitement-wise in the press. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like he's a guy who I think, like, once you've had him, like, everybody buys a jersey, but it's not like Bryce Harper where, like, Philadelphia is just going crazy and, you know, yeah. women are, like, begging him for pictures and everybody bought a jersey. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's just chaos over there. Like, it's Bryce mania. I mean, that's the, but the other thing that does bum me out is you're right. Like, I think if the Angels actually did manage to find some postseason success, it would remind people just how unbelievably good Mike Trout is. Yeah. Yeah, and as like, opposed that's... to, like, him coming on, you know, at 11 o'clock at night on the West Coast and, you know, doing yeah. whatever he's doing when no one sees it. And it does kind of make me sad because you look at guys, and yeah, Mookie Betts had, like, a lights-out season last year and 100% deserved MVP. But, like... Mike Trout is still Mike Trout, and Mike Trout was injured for a big chunk of last season and still managed to be Mike Trout. Yep. Still could have easily won the MVP award, yep. I think basically had the same war as Mookie. Yep, it was right there. Yeah, it was incredible. So, you know, I'm torn, right, because I I think the Mariners are probably my third or fourth favorite team, but this is not going to be a year for them. I think 74 is actually a fairly kind projection based on the moves they've made this offseason. Yeah. And the the decline of Felix and and that sort of thing. Felix is now like their fifth starter at best, and will probably end the season in the bullpen. Yeah, um, and it's his last year. Yeah. So I, I don't know that the moves are like Kyle Seeger's out now, and for all of April at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, they traded they away John. Cruz, Se- they they traded John Segura no. last year. Their shortstop. So, I mean, yeah. They are a shell of the team they were last year. And yes, there's some very exciting stuff on the up and up there, but not that we're going to see huge leaps and bounds from them this season. The Rangers, whatever. The Rangers are probably going to finish below that 70. Um, yeah. I'm most interested in that list and seeing what the Angels and the Athletics do. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, I think that is like an interesting race between the two of them to maybe try and snag you know, the fifth wild card spot. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and to kind of be duking it out. But yeah, it's just tough to see them taking down the Astros. I, I do think the Astros have a little bit of a problem with their pitching. Um, yeah, but based on those losses, um, they, they're going to convert Colin McHugh, um, who was a pretty good starter before oh God, they kind of brought everybody in. Bonkers good for them last season. His numbers were outrageous. Yeah. And it's like to be able to just like have that guy in your bullpen and then, you know, oh, all right, well, we'll just, now we can just make him a starter. Um, and he was pulling insane innings last year. So actually that's a pretty smart move for them. Like he was already doing a pretty hefty amount of work. Yeah. So I, I think that that's kind of a natural progression. We'll see how he does. Cause that is a change. Um, but uh, he was so friggin' good last year. Mm-hmm. Yep, he really was. And you know, you know, and they just there just isn't enough competition in that division. Like if in, they were in the AL East, I'd say that maybe they are in a little bit of trouble and really need like another kind of lockdown reliever and another good starter. But you know, they're going to run out Verlander, Cole. You know, they're going to run out Colin McHugh. They've got Josh James, who is a little banged up right now, but might be part they of that. Yep, they've still got Peacock that they could spot start here and there. Yeah. 
and yeah. by and by year's end, you know they'll they'll be able to bring up Forrest Whitley, who's the best pitching prospect in baseball. They've got Corbin Martin and CNL Perez, who are both like average pitching prospects who aren't far away. They've got JV Bukaskis, who's a really good pros- prospect, who's probably going to be a, a reliever for them, I would assume, um, especially this year. So they've got those guys in the tank. Um, you know, the Astros may have to pick somebody up at the deadline to kind of you know solidify the. The rotation or the bullpen, really. yeah, but um, but by and large, yeah, they're, they're in pretty good shape, and they're going to bring up Kyle Tucker, who's one of the best outfield prospects in the game. They signed Michael Brantley, who I think is going to just just tear it up in that park. Yeah. You still have Alex Bregman, <laughs> yeah, and then you still got and you've got Alex Bregman, and then you've got Carlos Jose Correa. Altuve. Why did I say Jose Abreu? Uh, oh yeah, oh, my God, Ashley, it's getting late. It is getting Jose late. Altuve. <laughs> yeah, and you've got Altuve and Correa both coming back from uh, from injury. And, you know, they weren't even themselves last year. And Bregman is coming back off a, off, um, a little bit of elbow surgery this offseason. But those guys didn't even have he's their best years last good, year. Though. Yep, he has. He looks like he's going to be just fine. So, yeah. He's, like, everybody's favorite new player. Like, yeah. he's not a new player, but he's, like, the new, like, beloved of baseball fandom for, like, you know, taking a guy from the pitcher's list and teaching a kid to hit and god Mm -hmm. bless yeah he's got a great youtube channel he's like one of those guys who is really really on top of that um you know like when he had his surgery there was video up of that there was video of his rehab like the whole thing Uh, yeah when he meets fans like you know when he goes to take pictures with girls that like before their senior prom or you know oh my god shows up at weddings and stuff yeah he like alex bregman is that guy that that understands like the pleasures of stardom, like the real pleasures of stardom, not like the dark, scary, like shitbag pleasures of stardom. He's like enjoys, you know, making people happy and like showing up and like, you know, making people's day. And it's pretty cool. To me, that's a guy who really gets how to cultivate an image and how to create the kind of persona that I think baseball needs more of. Like, I don't know Alex Bregman, so I don't know how much of that's genuine. It certainly comes across as genuine. Mm hmm. But we've all been, we've all had our hearts broken so many times. You never know. Absolutely, but what he's doing is so smart because he's found a way to really like take charge of how his image is being projected, and not in a way that requires him to have all of these you know deals for shoe companies and everything like that. He's really like taken on and found very interesting ways to keep himself top of mind mm-hmm. without needing to have contracts and advertising and. He's done it by having a YouTube channel, by posting fun stuff on his Instagram, by taking those prom pictures, by inviting a kid to hit with him at spring training. Like, that's how you kind of make yourself a legend as opposed to being a Mike guy Trout. who once had a Ford Escape commercial. Yep, yep, it's so true. Yeah, he, he gets that. And you know what's funny is that he and um, the Astros and, here we go, and Trevor Bauer um, kind of have like that antagonism, you know, like with Bauer calling them out for maybe using stuff to increase their spin rate. You know, there's just been a little bit of sniping um, there. But Trevor Bauer also, like, had a whole video kind of on that same topic about how baseball players needed to, you know, needed to put themselves out there more, even when it's painful, and, you know, reach out to fans and let people behind the curtain and see how they prepare and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it seems like some of those young guys, you know, get that to a degree that, you know, older baseball players just kind of don't really... Um, when I said it to you during the All-Star game, like, Nelson Cruz had a really good grasp on it. Like, his his Instagram channel during the All-Star game the past two seasons yeah, yeah. has been unbelievable. Like, it's such an immersive 
an engaging experience for fans. And I think that like, even though he's not regularly on there, that sort of thing is very much the path that players should be embracing. Yep. And like we said, you know, um, you know, just to bring it back to the Tigers, like Shane Green and, and Nick Cassiano starting a podcast last year, like it kind of tailed off. Like it, the first four or five episodes were really good. And then you could kind of tell like they were kind of forcing themselves to do it. It felt like as the season drags on and everybody's exhausted, but, um, but that was just a really cool way for the two of them to kind of present themselves and, and kind of what they're like in their daily life a little bit more to hear them kind of banter with, you know, each other and other teammates and people. So yeah, I just think, um, yeah, the more of that, the better. And, you know, there's going to be some blowups. You know, I was joking last week about, you know, Daniela Rodriguez, um, Carlos Correa's fiance, like post mm-hmm. posting like some content that I could see, like eventually kind of like going wrong, like, yeah, being a little bit too much behind the scenes. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Then you look at stuff like, I don't want to bring it up too much, but like Marcus Stroman. Yeah. Yeah. And like that whole thing was so weird because you can tell like Marcus Stroman probably had no idea that people would even take offense to that, that he would put a picture out of how he got his dog's ears cropped and you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's gross. And like any dog owner is like, what the hell are you doing? You know, it's unnecessary pain. Yeah. Pain and suffering on your animal for a look just for the sake of making your dog look tough. Yeah. Like that dog was a floppy eared, adorable puppy. Why would you do that? Like why cosmetic surgery on an animal? Yep. It sucks. Your animal doesn't get a say in that. Yep. Yep. It's true. And it sucks because I really like Marcus Stroman and I was just like, God damn it. (laughs) Why'd you have to do that? And then Twitter's all like, Marcus Stroman is cancelled, and I'm like, quite frankly, yes. Yep, yep. Hard hard to hard to love. Hard to love after you see something like that. I mean, of all the things a player could do, yes. I understand that that is fairly low on the scale, because obviously he had it done by a professional. The dog didn't look to be in any kind of distress in the video. Sitting on his feet, like a puppy. I'm sure he loves his dog. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's It's one of those things where it's just like, dude, why? Yep. Like it doesn't even have a reason, you know. Like as you know, cat declawing is another one that's even worse, really. That one cuts off the toes, the fingertips of your cat. Yep. It's not just also that you can protect your fucking couch. Like, just don't have a cat if you don't want your shit to ever get scratched or have any anything go wrong. Just take them and get their claws clipped regularly by a professional. Yeah, or learn to do it yourself, you slack ass. Well, my my cats really are not fans. Yeah, for sure. A lot, a lot of cats aren't, you know, yeah. And there's... I will pay a professional to do it for me. Yep. It's at least a two-person job. <laughs> yep, like one person to hold the cat, one to yeah. get bit and scratched, and then the other one to clip the nails. So. 100% I have seen a team of three professionals still end up get caught and bloody oh, yeah. at the end of cutting my cat's claws. Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, Marcus Stroman, why'd you have to do that? All right, well, let me, let's kind of wrap it up with the American League West. Um, oh, right, we're, we're in the middle of a topic. Well, no, we were... You guys listened to the Bless You Yeah, yeah this is what we do. Our digressions are our, our best uh, best tool. Um, <laughs> 80 great digressions. Um, so good at it. I'm so think, skilled. The only thing I was going to say about the Angels is that, yeah, you know, they added Matt Harvey, um, but they really yeah. didn't, but they didn't really do anything with their bullpen of note other than pick up, I think, Co- didn't they pick up Cody Allen at the end? Um, and they'd lost, like, two relievers, and... Was uh, that good last year with the Reds? I'm... Yeah, he was all right. I mean, he looked back to, like, he was throwing, you know, 93, 94, 
Um, you know, like his secondary pitches all looked better and his command looked a little better. Like he looked more comfortable. He had a 4.5 ERA, yeah. 1250 whip. I mean, not great, but not bad. Yeah. Definitely not like 2013 Matt Harvey, but. Yeah, but a lot better than like 2016, 2017 Matt Harvey. So maybe there's a chance that he's sort of like got his shit together and is like starting to work hard again and like realize like, okay, you know, you've already pissed away like you know, five years, you know, somewhat, somewhat not his fault just because of the injuries, but it's hard to kind of look at it like yeah, his lifestyle and think, think, yeah, with the mats, yeah, think. for sure. And then you look at like the lifestyle and stuff and kind of feel like it's impossible to think that dude is, is putting the work in the way um, some other guys do. You know, Alex Bregman was doing an interview last week and he was talking about Justin Verlander's impact in the clubhouse. And he had a lot of things to say about Justin Verlander that for a dork, um, Justin Verlander obsessive like myself were amazing. But the best piece of advice that Justin Verlander had given him that he had taken to heart was to sleep. Like, to sleep, oh, like, man. 10, 12 hours. Like, as the season goes on, like, just get your rest. Stop doing things. Like, stop trying to push yourself in other ways. Go home. Eat. You know, have fun for a while. And then sleep. And sleep in. And stop worrying about, like, trying to eyewash your coaches by showing up early and doing extra sprints and all that kind of crap. Um, you know, just get your rest. And I, I was like, oh, yeah, that's... That's the kind of thing that you you wouldn't expect a veteran to tell a young player. You'd think, you know, there's always that, you know, you've got to drive yourself, dude. You've got to do more. You've got to work harder. And to hear, like, you know, the kind of preeminent veteran in the game at this point tell you, like, no, <laughs> no. You know, you've done plenty. We all know you have the skills to play here at an extremely high level. You just need to take care of yourself, and that's it, really. You know, once the season is underway, just get your, get your rest. Take some naps, bro. It's pretty funny. Yeah. That's how I live my life. Yeah, it works for me. And, you know, and the other thing, too, is um, another kind of weird thing that happened last year was that Josh James, who's, you know, this big, hard-throwing dude who'd always been super wild and couldn't command his stuff, they figured out he had sleep apnea, and all of a sudden he started getting, you know, good night's sleep, feeling like 100% all the time, and all of a sudden he was looking like this dominant pitcher. Um, and you just wonder, like, how many weird little issues like that are out there with, with players that, you know, obviously have the skill and never seem to perform that, you know, we just don't know about and that teams aren't aren't really, you know, able to dial in. Um, I don't know. Those things are interesting. Mm. Yeah. So get your sleep, kids, and make sure you don't have sleep apnea. And what's the other thing that you need to do? Um, take coffee naps. Drink, drink lots of water. Drink lots of coffee water. Naps. Now, I am And also eat, eat, apnea, eat, eat. So maybe I was never uh, meant to be a pitcher. Maybe that's it. And also, though, the other one you need to, um, as you get older, you need to eat two servings of mushrooms, apparently, because um, it helps stave off Ugh. dementia. Two servings I'm of... going to die young. <laughs> well, that's all right, too. Maybe being a writer, like, helps with that as well. You can see. I don't think anything about my life style <laughs> lends itself to <laughs> longevity. <laughs> yeah, I know. Not, not really mine, either. I, actually, I do some good... I don't, I don't consume that much sugar. I'll give myself that. But and I get exercise, but other than that, like no, nah, I don't, I'm not taking great care of myself either. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else to point out about the. Oh, you know the other, the other thing I was going to mention is that t- there'll be two pitchers to watch on the Mariners that might be interesting, which is to see how um, you say Kikuchi does um, coming over from Japan. Uh, Kikuchi, I'm excited about. Yeah, all that crafty funk he he brings to the table, and then Justice Sheffield, who was a a good pitching prospect for the Yankees, but never really. Hasn't really gotten his shot. Had a little bit of injury trouble this year. Um, he could could end up being a pretty good one 
Um, and pitching in Seattle is, is good for pitchers. You know, it's, it's a good spot to make your debut and stuff. So those are two guys to keep an eye on out there. Um, there isn't a whole lot to watch on, like, the Rangers. Like, I don't even know. I'm sorry. There's no Adrian Beltre anymore, so you guys are pretty much boned over there. Um, Joey Gallo will mash homers, and maybe Drew Smiley will, will get healthy and look like um, World Baseball Classic Drew Smiley when he was throwing 96, 97, and all of a sudden looking like this god. And I suddenly started thinking, like, oh, my God, is Drew Smiley like, going to turn into, like, you know, this left-handed, like, monster stud pitcher, and then, nope, blew his elbow out right afterwards. Oh, I'm so sad about that. He was kind of an up-and-comer. Yep. He was good with us, and then, yeah, there was that extra gear that he hit right then, and it all went bad. <clears throat> all right. So that took a while because we digressed so much. <laughs> but we'll, let's move on to the National League West, where it still looks like, you know, it's pretty much the Dodgers and the also-rams over there. The Dodgers are projected to win 94 games. Um, the Rockies to go 85 and 77. Um, the D-backs who lost Paul Goldschmidt um, to free agency are set to to but just be... gained an Adam Jones. That's true. They they added Adam Jones and what, Eduardo Escobar, I believe. But yeah, they're supposed to go 81, 81, and then the Padres only 79 wins, 83 losses, which is kind of interesting. That's such a volatile team with so much young talent. You could see them. Uh, Maybe underperforming, but also maybe Fernando Tatis Jr. and some of those pitching prospects come up, play with Manny, Hosmer, who's the other one? Will Ian Myers, Kinsler. Ian Kinsler, and just Rage. Um, that's that's entirely possible, too. That's going to be a fun team to, to check out. I'm curious to see how they re- they do this year. I think that that's going to be... I don't think they're going to take that division by any stretch. I think the Dodgers are still pretty, pretty red hot, even though they've sold off some pieces. But uh, it's going to be... It's gonna be fun. Yeah, I think that will be a fun, a fun, you know, division to watch. And it's it's interesting with the Rockies because you know they they locked up Nolan Arenado to kind of be like their guy. Like they signed him to a long term deal. They've got a really good young outfielder in David Dahl who just came up last year. Um, they've got Brendan Rodgers who can play second and third or in shortstop and is a really good young hitting prospect. They've got you know they've got some young talent there, um, so they can have a shot at it. Oh, to wrap that up, sorry, the Giants, sorry Giants. Um, the Giants will be playing like Mike Gerber in left field and, and look to be pretty bad. Although they're hilariously projected to win 73 games. And I cannot fathom like some of these projections, like putting the Tigers below like the Giants and the, you know, and, and the Rangers and the Mariners. Like I'm just not, I'm not really seeing what, uh, what Pakoda sees here, but you know, maybe that's my yeah, fault. Some of it's ludicrous. I don't think the Tigers are going to bear as badly as everyone thinks. Like 66 is my bottom wrong estimate of how they'll be but i'd love to see them hit 70 yeah and i just don't i don't really see where the royals are going to be five games better i like i don't i don't know what in the world anyone is looking at the royals at and thinking they'll be better than they were last year whereas i can look at the tigers and think of a lot of ways they could be better so i don't know we'll just have to see about that but yeah once again you know the dodgers you know they they've lost some people um you know they they traded away yasiel puig um they lost they let basically let yasmani grandal walk away um, they won't have Manny Machado, but on the flip side of that, they'll get Corey Seager back who missed a year for Tommy John surgery, who is a, a brilliant young shortstop. They'll have him in there. Um, they've got Alex Verdugo, who's a, a pretty darn good outfield prospect to come up and add to like Cody Bellinger, Jack Peterson, some of those guys they've got, um, got in the outfield. So, you know, they're just so damn deep. Like you just look at that team and I'm not that impressed. Like, the only thing they really did was sign A.J. Pollock, who is, you know, perennially injured, and they picked up Joe Kelly, um, from who, you know, was a free agent after playing for the Boston Red Sox and having a, a really great postseason. But they just... Yeah, and Matt, Matt Kemp went to the Reds, too. Yeah, Matt Kemp and Yasiel Puig are down there. Yep. 
The Reds, Reds I mean, will be fun. Yeah, Reds should be interesting. Matt Kemp has been on and off, but he's the last couple of years, especially when he was with the the Braves and then back into the Dodgers, has been interesting. Yeah, he, he was pretty damn good with the Dodgers last year. He hit two ninety. Yep. So I mean, yeah, he carried them when they were. There. Yeah, he kind of did carry them. They had those injuries early on um, before they picked up he Manny Machado. Five RBIs, and, which is the best he'd had since two thousand and sixteen. Yeah. Like, it's one of those dudes that's kind of like Miggy right now. You know, like, obviously, Matt Kemp was never the player that Miguel Cabrera was, but, you know, it's like you see him go through these stretches where, like, for a couple months, they're obviously feeling good and healthy, and they just rage, you know, like prime prime versions of themselves, and then, you know, usually fall apart again. But Now, like, my opinion of Matt Kemp has always been that it's foolishness that no AL team has ever picked him up to be their DH, um, because, honestly, it's what he's built for. Yeah, at this point, yeah. But, like... Oh man, the Reds are going to be interesting this year. Yep, yep, yeah. It'll be fun to talk about them because they've got, um, yeah, they've got some interesting young pitching talent as well. And of course, any team that has Joey Votto on it is just by nature interesting. So you got Votto, you got Puig. It's just gonna. Mm, I'm intrigued. Yep, Scooter Jeanette, Aoenio Suarez, ah. my friend. This is our second week in a row digressing into a Reds discussion. Yeah, the Reds. We talked about yeah. the evolution of Scooter Jeanette's name last week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, the Reds are going to be interesting. But all right, we'll. This is we'll, now an all Reds podcast. We're, yeah, we're, we're going to leave out the NL West and travel to Cincinnati and just zoom in. I'm going to Cincinnati this year. I'm actually going to get to see a Reds game. Are you, I think I might drive down for a game, too, just because I, I am finding them interesting. Um, I don't bet much on anything, uh, but I actually I'll let did. You know when we're going. We're yeah. going in July. So oh, yeah. Because Cam said he might come, so we could have a mini BYB meetup at the Reds game. Oh, that'd be sweet. Yeah. It's not a Tigers game. Yeah, I don't care. It's all right. Pirates Reds game or something. Yeah, if the Tigers, I don't know. If the Tigers want me this year um, at the stadium, they may have to look in uh, Toledo more than in Detroit. So we'll just we'll see how that plays out. But you know the like the damn thing about the Dodgers is that they did nothing this offseason. They lost a bunch of players. And despite the fact that they've been picking like at the end of the first round for what feels like a decade now, they're just absolutely still stacked with prospects. They've got Gavin Lux, who can play second and short, really good prospect. That would be possibly the Tigers' best, probably the Tigers' best position prospect if we had him. Um, and it's the same with Alex Verdugo. Like he would be one of our top prospects. They've still got these guys coming. They've got a good arm in Jordan um, Alvarez. Or wait, is that is it Jordan Alvarez? I can't even remember. I'm looking. Da, da, da. Oh, Yadier Alvarez. Okay. Yeah, who's another arm that I, I really like for a long time um, that they can convert to being a reliever. They've got Dustin May, who's another monster. Um, so even though Clinton Kershaw is hurt and looks like maybe things aren't going to work out there, and I and I do kind of doubt the 94 wins a little bit, um, you know, they've just they've still got all that backup. They've still got Walker Bueller. They've got Luis Urias. They've got a lot of guys. projections is that they always lean very heavily on last year's results. Sure. Like, they're, they kind of just play a little bit with them, but I find it's almost always, inevitably, just within four games of whatever the team did the previous year. Yeah, and and it really likes depth. I think that's the thing that is the hardest. Um, I don't want to just say for fans. Like, even for me, like, for everybody who's, you know, like, pretty obsessed, like, you just, you tend to, to look at your players and think they'll play the whole season and that never happens, and it's the projection systems that often catch that and recognize like who, you know, who in the fi- the farm system is actually going to be worth like one year this year, one war this year, playing like you know fifty games. Um, and a lot of times that's what plays into it. Um, but yeah, the Dodgers still look like the class of the division. 
Um, the Rockies could be fun. Um, the pitching there is just always kind of so so volatile, but um, they've got you know they've got a lot of talent. I mentioned the young guys; they've still got Arenado. Trevor Story broke out and was just a monster at shortstop last year. Um, yeah, they've got a lot kind of lot going on there. They've still got Gerardo Parra in the outfield. I think they picked up Carlos Gonzalez for a little bit, um, and he's still effective when he's feeling good and healthy. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the Rockies can catch them. It seems unlikely. Yeah. I think that Giants estimate, even at 73, feels a little bit generous. Yeah, I kind of think so, too. Just don't really, uh, yeah, I, they just don't I have anything. Like 70 there, maybe. I kind of think the Padres are going to be better than people think, and the Giants are going to pay the price and win, like, 63 games or 64 games. Um, their best players are, like, Buster Posey, like, Evan Longoria, Brandon Crawford. Like, these guys are old as dirt. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've apparently been testing Sandoval in, like, catcher positions and, like, outfield. And I'm like, oh, this is what happens when you don't have the DH role, my friends. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yep, they got stuck with him again. And, you know, Madison Bumgarner has kind of looked, you know, I, he came back last year after the injuries and um, didn't really look all that good, didn't look like himself. And that's kind of continued into the spring. Um, you know, Jeff Samarja isn't really worth the damn anymore. They picked up Drew Pomerantz, who was one of the guys that I think we all would have liked to see the Tigers um, take a flyer on, um, possibly instead of Matt Moore. And I could see him coming back and having a pretty good year. But yeah, the Giants just, ugh, just not, uh, yeah, not really seeing it. Super generous for them. Yeah. And the Diamondbacks are basically kind of trying to, you know, trying to re up things. They've still got Zach Greinke. They've got Robbie Ray. They should get Taiwan Walker back. So, you know, they've got. You know, and they they also traded um, for Luke Weaver from the the Cardinals. They've got some some decent pitching there, but without Goldschmidt anchoring that lineup and AJ Pollock gone, it's just really hard to see uh, them having anywhere near enough offense to compete. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So really, I mean, the team I'm most interested over there is is the Padres. Like, we'll be interested in the Dodgers because you're going to probably end up seeing them in the postseason again. But the Padres are the team that it's going to be really exciting and could do some big things. And I know. Um, we, we mentioned earlier, but Miss Emily Walden will be out um, covering Cactus League play, I think, next week. And I think she leaves in three days or so, so she'll be giving us reports from yeah. from Arizona. Yeah, but we'll probably have her back on um, after she gets back. But, um, but yeah, she's been keeping close tabs and written a lot on the Padres system um, when she's not doing Tiger stuff. And, uh, yeah, it, everything you hear is just like, you know, there's, it's just a, a storm of incredible young talent about to... Bum rush the stage there, and after picking up Manny Machado, um, you know, if they just wouldn't have signed Eric Hosmer, they'd still be sitting there with like $20 million per year they could just drop on something. But um, they've got Chris Paddock, they, you know, Mackenzie Gore, there's just a lot of good pitching prospects. And Fernando Tatis Jr. and Luis Urias could, could form a really, really good young kind of Ramirez Lindor style middle infield for a long time to come. So those guys are going to be a pain in the ass at some point, and it's just whether or not they show up this year. Yeah, it'll be they'll be fun to watch too. Yeah, yeah, I think so. For the first time, it's been a long time since I've ever said that about the Padres. Yeah, the Padres. You know, a lot a lot of the West Coast baseball I see is after the Tigers games end, and I'll just like put on like usually it was mm-hmm. the Dodgers, especially when Vin, Vin Scully was still there. Um, which is kind of sad that he's not there. But uh, at this point, it's probably going to be more like the Astros and Padres is where my my interest um, in late night. Okay, I'll watch this and then fall asleep. Baseball is going to be, yeah, I think, this year. Usually, the Angels are Mariners for me. Yeah, I do like watching some Mariners too. That's true, but I'm not sure there's there's enough to hold my attention this year. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I know it makes me kind of sad, but we'll see. I like to get a couple of Mariners games in, in, in every every month or so. So yeah, yeah, exactly. I, you know, it, it's the Felix thing, really, more than more than anything. Um, 
I really, I, I was really uncomfortable watching the the Dodgers in the postseason because Kershaw's velocity was down and it wasn't looking good. I like, I hate watching an ace start to start to de- de- oh. decline right in front of your eyes. Postseason Kershaw always makes me feel cringy. Like, yeah, like, uh, like you're kind of watching it through one eyeball, like worried and fretting and just nervous. Yeah, yeah, you know, I hate the Dodgers, but um, there, there's nothing I like better than an, than an ace and. Uh, yeah, you know, you just would have liked him have that one postseason where he just kind of like dominated his way dominated, through in yeah. Verlander style. Well, although when he came in in relief against the Nationals in what was it, 26, 2017? Yeah. yeah, I think it was 2017. 2017 postseason, yeah. I think. Yeah, because I was working for Bless You Boys because I wrote about it. And I said <laughs> that they were going to change how they started using starting pitchers and the rotation. And I may or may not have predicted the opener. <laughs> yep. I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, that was like that was amazing. That was dominant postseason delivery. Yeah, yeah. And you would love to see that in in a full game for him. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's not you know, and it is a little bit overrated to be like, oh, Kershaw always sucks in the postseason. Like he's actually been like a pretty solid, usable pitcher who's had you know plenty of good starts. But yeah, there's just never been that time where he just like put the team on his back and, and carried him to a title, um, or even really carried him to the World Series. Um, so. Yeah, so that's kind of a drag, and yeah, Felix is kind of a drag in the same way. Um, somehow Zach Grinky um, has grown out his hair to look like some kind of miniature pirate Thor, and uh, and he he looks pretty skeezy, um, but he continues to deal. He just continues to get it done every year. <laughs> yeah. He just looks like he looks like rolling shit from Shit's Creek. <laughs> and then it, anyone who watches that show will will get exactly what I mean. But otherwise, he kind of just looks like David Spade, if nobody else. Oh, Canadian, yeah. Canadian comedy series. Yeah. Oh, uh, David Spade. That's a piece yeah. of work there. All right. All right. Well, I believe we've, as uh, Carson Sestula used to say, fulfilled our obligation to bless you boys. Um, and we're going to keep doing this, you know, we'll, we'll do the central divisions next week, um, presumably, and then move on to the East after that. So we'll try to wrap these up and I don't know, like half the site seems to want to be on the podcast at some point. <laughs> and yeah, I have no idea like who has a microphone that is even usable. And, um, Zane said he's all set up for audio. I, yeah, Zane was the one who I did notice. Yeah. So I'll yeah. just, if any of our, any of our staff is listening, um, if we pick Zane to go first, um, it's only because of his microphone. So that's on the rest of you. <laughs> I would imagine Adam probably has a decent setup because he does a lot of video stuff. Yeah, for sure. And Kanan runs the other podcast. So I'm sure we can we can mix in some other guests there. Um, and maybe we'll do if that. If you guys have any specific writers for the site that you would like to see us bring on first, please let us know. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm just reticent to do it because it's already kind of enough to, like, record us and, like, kind of know, like, what our rapport is like and stuff and, and not have to deal with editing three people's voices or four people's voices. But, um, I don't know, yeah, if people are interested... regular, but we, we may start having guest features. Yeah, just to kind of introduce some of the personalities on the staff because, um, if you were in our Slack channel and saw, like, the nonsense and, uh, and intelligence bullf that goes on all day... <laughs> Back it's been behind like 45 there. minutes discussing algebra and calculus today, so... Yeah, you just never know what might go on. And then we might turn from that to, you know, dangerous animals, or as we did yesterday on Tiger Twitter, um, try to identify the snake that Nikki Hardy found in Florida. Yeah, yeah. So I think we actually got a response on that. Somebody sent me a link, and I think it is actually what it was. Um, somebody tagged me and Nikki in it, 
and it was not a water moccasin, as somebody suggested. No, it was definitely um, not a death noodle. I think I identified that there was no death noodle involved, no, but guy, it is Florida, so you just never knew. A southern water snake, which is non-venomous, uh, gets pretty big because it was a thick boy. Yeah, he was pretty thick. Uh, but only dangerous if you're a fish or frog. And he sent a link, and I'll, I'll tweet it to you so that you can um, see the results. But it definitely looked like the picture that Nikki and Blaine shared. Yeah. So yeah, this is the excitement we get into, you guys. We yep. help identify snakes on walks. Yep, and just talk all kinds of random smack back and forth. So, so but the, but the point being, there are kind of a lot of, um, there's a lot of great personalities and cool people on our staff um, that we're really happy to have there, and yeah, despite my reticence, maybe we will um, we will take it upon ourselves to introduce you to them slowly and 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 you know under parental supervision <laughs> for a little yeah, bit the on the that's leash. Terrifying. I know that is terrifying. Yep. So yeah, you might see some of that to, to come. Um, do you have anything to report on your YouTube channel? I know it's it's getting close, getting close uh, to launch. It's going launch. to debut next week because I want to make sure. I noticed um, the Cubs actually debuted their own YouTube channel this week, where they're kind of featuring fun content. Um, but one of mm, so the Cub. feedback pieces I saw online, it's it's actually pretty cool stuff, um, and it's very fun. Oh, um, right on. But one of the feedback pieces that somebody had given them on. Twitter was that it would help to have actual um, closed captioning because I guess YouTube does a basic version, but it's kind of like a best guess. Mm. Um, so I really want to make sure that I get it right and add that as an option. So I'm delaying it by a week so I can figure out closed captioning for anyone who might have issues or any kind of hearing impairments. Um, so I just want to make sure that that's an option. So that's why I'm delaying it by a week. First two episodes will be out Tuesday and Thursday next week. Cool. So yeah, head over to YouTube and, and just subscribe to the channel, and that way you don't have to wonder when it's coming out. You will just get a notification yep, and be all set. Ring the little bell, and it'll give you a notification. Yep. Um, oh yeah, I think that's about it. Um, there was one more topic that I will save maybe for another time, because I want to investigate and write it, and it's all kind of about like the gambling tie-ins and how... Um, oh. And how like all teams are going to have to provide their lineup before they release it publicly and like hold it in secret trust for 15 minutes so that all the bookmakers can can lock in their final line and all that kind of crap. Um, and I'm just really interested in some of the the fallout like that that is going to going to happen um, as a result of this partnership. So and no doubt the partnerships to come. So I'm going to do some more research on that and maybe you'll see a piece up on the site about that as well. But for now. Follow Ashley at 90 Feet From Home on Twitter and follow me at Fiscador74 on Twitter um, where you will find amateur herpetology and all sorts of other badinage going on over there. <laughs> and everybody have a good week. Bye. Bye-bye.